Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Colorado Dream, Newcomers Welcome, is sponsored by Ames Community College. This podcast is serialized. If this is your first time listening, it's best to start at the beginning. Salwa Mortada Bamba was 12 years old when a civil war erupted in the West African country of Liberia, where she was born and raised. Her life was upended for nearly a decade, and one of the first things she lost was school. She loved school. She said she was a bookworm. There was no school, nothing, just nothing to do but go sell a few items in the market, come home. She sold cans of Fanta and Coca-Cola and packs of batteries to make a little money for the family. Just across the street from the market was an abandoned school. It had been taken over by the United Nations and turned into a health clinic. Outside, there were triage tents where Salwa remembers lines of people waiting for treatment. UN nurses would perform health screenings and listen to people's hearts and lungs. Salwa would hang out there for hours watching. And I would see this man come up every day and he would set up and some uh, nurses and I would go there and I would just watch them like, hmm, I want to do that one day. The man noticed her taking an interest and asked if she wanted to help out. He said, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you and we'll even, give, we'll even give your family rations, beans, oil, um, rice, whatever you needed. After Salwa got permission from her dad, it was an easy decision to say yes. It was exciting to help the triage nurses in the tents, screening patients with conditions from gunshot wounds to malnutrition. Like the big belly and the tiny limbs and yellow eyes and whatnot. And I would send them to see the doctor or the nurses. This experience sparked something inside Salwa, a desire to work in healthcare. In her teens, she dreamed up a plan to come to America to study medicine. And despite many odds and the heartbreak of leaving her family behind in Liberia, she did it. By 22, Salba was living in Aurora and working at a nursing home while taking pre-med classes. I knew that I loved caring for people and I had the self-experience and what other way to help and to be at the bedside than nursing. I'm Stephanie Daniel, and this is the Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome from KUNC. Our series explores the Black immigrant experience in Colorado. It's told through the eyes of one African woman and the city of Aurora that's working to become an inclusive home for all. This is episode three, Education. Soon after arriving in Aurora in 1999, Salwa was enrolled at the local community college. She was single, living with her uncle, and working a part-time job as an activities assistant at a nursing home. Still, it was tough to afford the courses. I was poor. I was barely making enough to survive on, much less pay tuition. One challenge was her immigration status. Salwa had what's called temporary protected status, which meant that she was allowed to work and go to school in the U.S., but she wasn't eligible for federal aid. Sometimes she would sit out a semester or two to catch up financially. There was no support. There was zero support. 
I don't even think they knew what being an immigrant was unless you had a green card, you know? She also had an issue with class times. As a working student, she says a lot of the courses she needed didn't fit her schedule. In the beginning, it was all mostly high school students who didn't have a job and were still living with their parents. They started to add more classes in the evening for working people like me. While Sawa was in school, she was going through other big life changes. In the spring of 2022, I was with Sawa in her kitchen while she was making dinner for her family, a Liberian specialty called palava sauce. It's a green leaf stew with palm oil, meat, and fish that's served over rice or fufu, a dough-like food found in West Africa. But first, Salwa had to boil frozen beef and cow's feet until they softened. While we waited, I chatted with her and her 16-year-old daughter, Maya. Maya, do you feel connected at all to your, your mom's Liberian side? I think the food like we eat connects me to that mostly. And when we see our family. So what's your favorite Liberian food? Probably palm butter. What do you put palm butter on? Rice. On rice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you like mix it in? Mm-hmm. You co- it's an actual stew. You, you cook it with meat and fish and you put it on top and you eat it. Sounds delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> it is delicious. Sawa had two children while attending community college, Maya and her older brother, Julian. So I remember taking Julian with me to uh, my anthropology class in his um, car seat. And he was such a cute baby, nobody mind, nobody paid any mind. He was quiet. She was juggling two kids, work, and school, but she persevered. It took her nine years, but Salwa graduated with an associate of science degree. By then, she decided to become a nurse, just like the people she'd worked alongside as a teenager in Liberia. Salwa had an advantage over many other immigrants. English is her first language. How do you spell accident? This is a level four community ESL, English as a second language class, at Community College of Aurora. The instructor is Pianjai Sefkin. She goes by Eid and is a bundle of energy. Is this E or I? I. In English. She's from Thailand and works as a legal and medical language interpreter and translator. But teaching this class is her favorite job. Because it's not my my first language, I I want to share my experience of how I learned effectively, how I, I learn and I can teach. I always tell my students, like, you know, I am perfect to teach English. I'm not a native speaker. But I used to learn English, like all of you. Eid speaks Thai, Lao, and several other languages, which she says helps her on this job, one she's had for nearly a decade. When I visited her class during the 2022 winter term, there were a dozen students from all over the world. My name is Mohamed Morsi. I'm from Egypt. From Mexico. I'm from Honduras. Vasquez, I'm from Mexico. I am from Algeria. I'm from Mexico. I am from Venezuela. Khadija Alduri, from Syria. Okay, my name is Yan Mari. I am from Congo. Yeah, my name is Grace Casanya. 
I'm from Congo. Grace and her sister Anne-Marie speak French and Swahili. They are refugees and have been living in Aurora for three years, where they work at a local company packaging beauty products. I take English because when I come in America, me no English. When I come into in the community college of Aurora, I speak English a little bit, yeah. And I am sure after my, my school, I speak English very well. English is the language of opportunity. That's a line from Aurora's 10-year immigrant integration plan. Before creating this plan, the city conducted focus groups in 2019 with community members. It found the two top priorities for immigrants and refugees were learning English and finding employment. Research shows that immigrants who are proficient in English have higher-paying jobs. Not only can they better support their families, but the city benefits too. The more money residents make, the more money they can spend, and the more the city prospers. Community College of Aurora is one of a handful of educational organizations that partner with the city. The college is working with Aurora to increase access to job and entrepreneurship training and help students get internships with the city. To become proficient English speakers, foreign-born residents often turn to the college's Center for Adult Education. Right before the pandemic, we were at the peak of our student numbers. So we serve, I would say, right now between um, 1,600 and back then it was around 2,000 students a year. Jackie Zvenix is the center's director, which also offers high school equivalency degrees and citizenship classes. When she started working there in 2015, the college offered six English language classes from basic to high intermediate. But over the years, that's expanded to include pronunciation, grammar, and writing. Then we're hoping to add maybe some digital literacy classes. Uh, We had those for free back before the pandemic, but we want to increase those um, because we've seen a lot of barriers in technology over the pandemic. Once students have a strong grasp of English, they can begin working on their degrees and hopefully find well-paying jobs. But first, they have to be able to pay for it. Today, Community College of Aurora has more financial resources for foreign-born residents than when Salwa was a student 15 years ago. Refugees have always been eligible for federal funds as long as they have a green card or hold a specific visa status, such as being a survivor of human trafficking. But immigrants without legal status, like Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival or DACA recipients, are not eligible for these loans. So states across the country, including Colorado, have created other options. They are eligible for what's called the CASPA, the Colorado Application for State Financial Aid. Elizabeth Gallegos is the college's assistant director for financial aid. They do have a portion of state financial funding that's available, as well as um, foundation scholarships. CASFA was created by the state legislature in 2019 and awards money to help pay for expenses like tuition, books, and housing. To be eligible, students must meet several qualifications, like attending a Colorado high school for three years. To help students find financial aid opportunities like CASFA, the college created a comprehensive website during the pandemic. It lays out all the services available to immigrant and refugee students. 
we are also working to build mentorship programs so that not only are we helping students and students know that there's the staff and the instructors are here for them, but to know that they are not alone amongst their own peers. While the Community College of Aurora is working to become more inclusive, so is public K-12 education. There are four school districts that serve families in the city, and Aurora Public Schools is the oldest and most diverse. Voters recently elected a uniquely qualified resident to the school board. I am very privileged to be on that seat and being able to make the voices of the underheard or the the forgotten heard now. You're listening to The Colorado Dream. The Colorado Dream, Newcomers Welcome, is supported by Ames Community College. Positioning learners to meet current and future workforce needs in Northern Colorado for more than 50 years. Info at ames.edu. The Colorado River is in crisis. The Southwest is warming and drying. This is feeling like we really could stop Lake Powell as we know it. And all 40 million of us here in the West who rely on it are going to have to learn to live with less water. You know, ultimately we have no choice but to balance the supply and demands. I'm Luke Runyon. Listen for Thirst Gap, a podcast from KUNC on the future of the Colorado River and the people who rely on it. Coming this spring. The Aurora Public School System includes 63 schools, and students come from more than 130 countries and speak over 160 different languages. While the school board is racially and ethnically diverse, it wasn't until recently that it had a director who was an African immigrant. My name is Dr. Ann Kiki, and I am running for Aurora Public Schools Board of Education. Ann, who is a fluent Spanish speaker, has a doctorate in criminal justice and works at a statewide charter school system. Her platform focused on issues like equity, transportation, and learning loss due to COVID. In 2021, voters elected her to the APS school board. Anne is a petite woman who likes to wear long box braids. It's a hair braiding style worn by Black women around the world that dates back over 5,000 years to Southern Africa. She is from the West African country of Cote d'Ivoire, also known as the Ivory Coast, and moved to Colorado in 2001 to attend a Bible college in a city just south of Aurora. She was so wrapped up in her studies, it took her a couple years before she found the time to explore Aurora. I would come because that, this, that's where I would find, uh, you know, the immigrant stores. That's where I would find uh, the, the, the people that I wanted to see and the, the accents that I wanted to hear. She felt at home in the city. And when she was ready to buy a home, she chose Aurora. The diversity, the love, the, the, the way people welcome you, to me, was amazing. And coming with no family at a young age, you need that. You need good people around you. And yes, Aurora wrapped its arms around me. And yeah, it's been home ever since. Anne settled into her community, built a successful life, and started a family. She also became an advocate for the African community, where some people thought she would make an excellent Board of Education director. I was ordered to do it, <laughs> if you wish, if you would. Community leaders were eager for her to run so their voices could be heard. We needed a seat 
um, in that space for people to understand where we come from and why we are here. There are unique challenges for African immigrant children, she says. One of the big ones is they are forgotten. First and second generation African students get lumped in demographically with their black classmates. Yes, all these students are black, she says, but that doesn't mean they have the same issues. They may even be born here, but their emotion, social emotional issues are not the same, right? An Afri- a first generation African kid, my child can tell you that, goes to school acting like an American and then comes home and has to act like an African kid. When we spoke, Anne was about three months into her four-year term. She's enjoyed growing into the role and hopes to show tangible results by the end of it. That people may say, Anne has helped repurpose schools um, the right way. Anne has helped increase the budget. Anne did this, not just for the immigrant kids, but for all of the students in Aurora Public Schools. 20-year-old Vestine Nyonkuru is a refugee from Burundi in East Africa. And she knows what it's like to navigate between African and American cultures. At home, it's like no English, so we have to speak Kirundi. Kirundi is one of three main languages spoken in Burundi. She now lives in Aurora with her mom and four younger siblings. She says she's expected to act a certain way with her family, and sometimes that conflicts with what she's asked to do at school. Like, no talking back to your parents, like, or even if your parents are, like, arguing, you can't argue back. But in school, we have, like, class debates and argument, which it's kind of hard for Africans because we're, like, taught to not argue back. Vestine was five when she and her family were resettled in Aurora in 2009. The hardest part was adjusting to school. Even though APS is diverse, back then, her elementary school was mainly white. So I think it was trying to fit in with everybody, like, of course, different hair, style, skin tone, the way I speak. English is not my first language, so it was kind of difficult. She says her classmates and teachers couldn't relate to the trauma she'd been through as a refugee. She was bullied. One of these kids was like, oh, look, it's a little African girl. Look at her, like, you know, like making those statements or like saying that she lives in the bushes, which is not true. To cope, she says she became a bully herself and almost got expelled. But then she went to middle school where there were other immigrants and refugee kids. And she became friends with classmates from all over the world. Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania are like, um, Nigeria or Ghana, a lot of them were from there. And like, we kind of share like the same food, same culture. So it's much easier for me to get along. And as well as meeting like Koreans, like other culture, like the Asian side and like Hispanics was really wonderful. Aurora has really grown on her over the past 15 years. Where does he want to be at? Uh, rice. 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 Yeah. Can I have one more person help her count the bags as we get the bags going? I met up with Vestine in the food pantry at Village Exchange Center an Aurora-based nonprofit that serves immigrant and refugee communities. Here she is speaking Spanish with a volunteer. She works at the center part-time while going to school at Metropolitan State University of Denver, where she's studying criminology and language arts. Uh, I want to be an FBI agent or a CIA or undercover cop. Why? 
I blame criminal minds for that, but but it's something that I'm a passionate about. I love helping others. I love serving others. And then how many hours of sleep would you say you've got? Uh, I'd say like six to eight. Salwa is conducting a health exam at a clinic in Aurora, where she's a family nurse practitioner. That's just, that's been like your baseline for yeah. a while. Yeah, I'm a very I'm very early go to bed, early to wake up. Years ago, while getting her bachelor's degree, Salva was a single mom with two young kids and working full time, where she was making nine dollars an hour as a patient sitter at a hospital. But once the clinicals began, the next semester, working full time was impossible. And that became difficult. I had to do either as needed or part-time, so that meant I lost my health insurance. I didn't have that anymore. She also had her car repossessed and had to move in with family. Because of Salwa's temporary protected status, she didn't qualify for Medicare or other government assistance. But luckily, her American-born kids did, and they were also eligible for food stamps. Almost every 18 months, I would go through it, lose a job, start over. So yeah, it was an extra layer of stress. She says her faith kept her going. She also pulled on a strength from within, a fortitude that was born from surviving the Civil War in her home country of Liberia. I knew the struggles that I saw my parents, how every time my father fell, my mom fell, they got up again, the resilience, the perseverance. I saw that and I, I knew I had it within me. And I knew above all that I couldn't feel my children. I knew that. So that kept me going as well. Salwa has gone on to complete her bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degrees. One of her first nursing jobs was at a retirement home, and she loved it. Sometimes she would get to work early and help serve breakfast pour coffee, and listen to residents' stories. Many of them were Russian Jews. Holocaust survivors. And I resonated with them because I felt that we had similar stories. One of them was actually at Auschwitz. And she would tell me about the stories, and I would tell her about my life, and we became really close. She noticed that most of the nurses and assistants who worked directly with patients were immigrants or people of color while her white colleagues were in leadership roles. And they never worked the floors, but we always did. So that dynamic was there. I didn't know that that was a form of systemic racism at that time because I chose to put blinders on to finish school and whatnot. But over the years, I've opened my eyes to all of it. Reporting this series, I've learned that for some Black immigrants, it can take years to understand systemic racism in this country and the lasting impacts of slavery. This was true for Salwa. Growing up biracial in Liberia, she didn't see herself as Black or white. It wasn't until she fled the Civil War as a young teen and was living in Ghana that she began to understand the privilege that came with her light complexion. When Salwa was at boarding school, there was an assembly and the students weren't following instructions. So the head of the school told them all to kneel down in the gravel, except for Salwa, who was told that her light skin would be damaged. She decided to kneel down anyway. I knelt down and, yeah, 
just to show them that I wasn't any different and, you know, that they shouldn't treat me differently just because my skin was lighter. Of course, there was racism and discrimination in Africa. Nearly the whole continent was colonized by European countries starting in the late 1800s. But that did not prepare Salwa for the racism she found in the U.S. She'd learned in school that slavery had been abolished more than a century before she immigrated here. She'd also watched prosperous Black American families on TV, like the Huxtables from The Cosby Show. It's not that I wasn't aware that it existed in some places in the world, but when you haven't had lived experiences and you're just thrown into it, it kind of takes you by, like they say here, culture shock or shock. What also surprised her were the prejudices that existed between Black immigrants and African Americans. On the next episode of the Colorado Dream, Newcomers Welcome, we explore what it means for African immigrants and their kids to be Black in America. There's a tension between the African immigrant and the Black community. Why? Because of misconception and assumption from both parts. That's next time on Episode 4, Identity. The Colorado Dream, Newcomers Welcome, is a production from KUNC. It was written and reported by me, Stephanie Daniel. Editing by Johanna Zorn. Fact-checking by Kat Jaffe, with additional help from Adam Reyes. This season's theme song was composed by Jason Patton, who also sound designed and mixed the episode. Ashley Jeffcoat is the digital editor. Special thanks to Chandra Thomas-Whitfield, Robert Legia, Kyle Cunningham, and Kim Race. Sean Corcoran is KUNC's Executive News Director. Tammy Turwell is KUNC's President and CEO. To learn more about Salwa Mortada Bamba and the city of Aurora, and to see photos of the people included in this episode and other extras, go to KUNC.org slash Colorado Dream, or check out the show notes for a link. <laughs>